Welcome back to another episode of Liminal Frames. I'm your host, Nathan, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Aaron, XO Academian. Now you're listening to episode 20 of the show, and we are in uh, to the month of December of 2022. It's been quite a year, Darren. Uh, there's a lot that has gone on, and I don't know about you, but I feel that this year has had uh, some pretty highs and some pretty big lows as well with regard to the, this topic, at least from sort of the public conversation um, and UFO Twitter in particular certainly goes through this kind of pattern of uh, intense engagement and excitement. And then almost this sort of period of grief because we're just not getting the progress that we want to see, but nevertheless progress is being made. And we know very recently that the house passed a bill uh, with some pretty strong language in it, uh, moving this ball further down uh, the the field. And I'm very excited about what might come from that. But even with that said, we're still waiting on this uh, UAPF, uh, UAPTF report that we've, I guess, now over a month late on. And then the Senate still has to approve the bill and then, of course, has to be signed by the president. So a lot of work left to be done. And I'm not sure if it's going to happen by the end of the year. I think that would be pretty cool, but uh, perhaps not. Perhaps we'll have to wait until 2023 to see some of this more public process continue to move forward. But uh, what comes to mind for you in terms of like where we are looking back and uh, you know, what we've been through the last uh, almost 12 months now. Yeah. Well, first it's uh, it's worth uh, remarking and, and celebrating that we're on episode two, zero 20 episodes of liminal frames and almost a, almost a year, right? The, the anniversary is sometime in January, I think. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, and in terms of the the public conversation, it, it's funny because I remember even talking to some some close friends of mine who you know have some high level access, who really felt like in the summer that this was going to break any time. Like there really was a sense that uh, you know who, who knows what books are coming out in the fall, but it might be a moot point at that point because this might all sort of like have hit the fan, so to speak. Um, but that didn't happen, right? Um, yeah. I, I think that this has been an interesting exercise in tempering expectations and shaping expectations. And uh, before we went on tonight, you and I were talking about how, on the one hand, it's still historic what's happened the last few years, you know, compared to uh, what people have had to endure who've been at this for decades, right? unlike us. Um, you know, uh, for sure, this is uh, unprecedented, unprecedented times, you know, like, uh, ever since the, the New York Times articles and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, just the nature of the language of this legislation is, is, you know, the writings on the wall. And I think we'll get into some of that tonight. But um, yeah, I know that one of the things we want to talk about tonight is the, the difference between the conversation that experiencers are having around these topics rather than what the, or as opposed to what's happening in the public conversation or for the nuts and bolts crowd, the sort of traditional ufologists. Um, and I think how you look back at what's happened and what you're expecting and your expectations and all of that uh, really is shaped by which of those two conversations you're in, I think, in many ways. And I think, you know, another thing we want to get into is just how what it's been like for us sort of seeing those two different conversations. And sometimes it's almost like, you know, ships passing in the night uh, in terms of one doesn't really understand what's going on in the other one. Uh, and that'll be some interesting uh, dialogue for us to get into tonight. 
Definitely. Yeah. It almost even seems like uh, some are on the ship and some are on an airplane. They're just not even in the same uh, right, right. Mo- mode of transportation here. And, and I'm glad you pointed that out that, um, you know, we've both been involved with different groups and, and who are looking at this from different perspectives. I think that that it's important for folks to kind of pay attention to that to some degree, you know, who, who are the, who are the voices that you surround yourself with when it comes to this topic and who do you weight uh, more seriously than, than others. And I think when it comes to the experiencer conversation, anyway, if you're not an experiencer, so I can speak from my own experience here, cause I'm not, uh, you know, the challenge is how, how do you weight all of that experience that you're getting from all of these different people and, and it seems on the face of it anyway, uh, pretty disparate. There's a lot of different things happening, different entities, different, some positive, some negative. It can be a whole lot to kind of juggle. And it's not, it doesn't, it's not clean by any means. And, and I think we crave this sort of clarity, this night, nice, neat package with a bow on the top. And I can, you know, look at that and here, here's some data. It's clean. And, and there it is. We just don't seem to have that. And on the other hand, we have uh, some government movement here. We've got some legislation I can point to with some actual language. We've got some insiders who have worked in the government, some within secret programs who have spoken about what they can share. And that has this, at least for some, a greater uh, degree of uh, um, value and, uh, and you know, can give more credence to that. But, you know, if you're on the experiencer side, interestingly enough, when you hear those people talk, the insiders you're going, yeah, I don't believe anything. I don't believe anything that those people are saying. I have my own truth. And and the other side is the same way. When they when they hear the experiencers talk, they're like, ah, I don't know about that. You know, I only want to know what we're studying in some sort of secret uh, private industry lab or at some, you know, Department of Energy uh, complex that is, you know, in, in the black budget somewhere. So it's it's just very interesting, the two conversations that are being had. And I think for those that are trying to figure all this out, you know, how do you approach that? How do you kind of balance the, these things and, and come to some sort of place where you feel like you're, you're getting some information and ma- making some progress here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's tricky, tricky stuff. And um, I know that we'll, we'll get into it and we'll get into some of the nuance because um, I think there's numerous things to keep, keep in mind at the same time. Um, one of the things I was saying to you before we went on the air too was just, it's not just you know, about which side you land on, but there's also like which, which prejudice prejudices do you already have? So, um, when there isn't a lot of, you know, data that is considered by everyone to be legitimate and, and, you know, well-attested, you know, across the board, like say something like gravity or something, right. Um, then, although that, that, that also is, has some nuances, but, um, when that's not the case, it allows people to sort of exercise their biases mm-hmm. without being called on it in some ways, right? So I was saying to you before we went on the air that I've been surprised how even some of the people working on government disclosure on that push, to me, seem like they are excluding some kinds of information, um, some elements, because it just doesn't fit with their view of reality. Whereas I see it like our view of reality should be dictated by the data, not the other way around. Um, and it, 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 for me anyway, you know, it, it tempers my hopes for what's going to come out of this because, um, as Omega point, you know, made this excellent 
observation that I think we touched on last time too. What you focus on will inevitably determine what you miss, right? Mm -hmm. So if you if you assume something can't be the case, and so you look everywhere else, sure enough, you probably won't find it. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just it just means that you you from the get go, you know, set up this less than objective study that found exactly what it was looking for. Um, and that kind of bias, you know, that, that kind of precognitive bias, that kind of, um, you know, issue where you find exactly what you're looking for is, is well known in science and in other sciences that are considered like the hard sciences, you know, where there's a lot of rigid protocols and whatnot and peer review, there are procedures in place to make sure that doesn't happen. Right. But as I pointed out before, in this topic, it's it's sort of the Wild West, right? It's whatever you want to believe and whatever data, you know, smiles at you based on your particular view, you, you lean on that and ignore the rest. And if we're really trying to get to the bottom of that, uh, what this is, then that's just not the way to go forward. Mm -hmm. We, in some ways, need some breakthrough knowledge. And I think that uh, looking back in, in, in our history, when we've had moments of you know, technological breakthrough or uh, explorative breakthroughs. Like think about uh, when the West realized that there were people living on, you know, north, north, across the ocean in North America. I mean, that was a, a game changer for the world um, in some ways, not, not great. Um, but, you know, what you have there are people who took it upon themselves to not necessarily live within the realm of what was determined to be possible at the time. And they, they kind of looked at that and said, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go, I'm going to go my own way here. And yes, maybe it is crazy. You know, maybe I am getting laughed at for hopping on this boat and, you know, and going West, but I believe there's something there. And, and lo and behold, there was, and that new knowledge really became a paradigm shifting moment for the entire world. And so that's essentially what I think we're looking for here. But the irony of all that is that for many people, for most, I would say, you know, what we're looking for that kind of stamp of legitimacy, which can really only come from these existing institutions who prop up the way things already are and have already defined the realm of what, what is possible. And so what we, what we really kind of need is almost this, uh, in uh, uh, a sort of jolt that comes from outside of those institutions that has uh, this tremendous e efficacial power. You know, it's, it's extremely meaningful that it inserts it itself into those paradigms and, and they cannot help but take no notice of it because it has so much greater explanatory power and efficacy. So I think that that's kind of what we're looking for. And, and who are, who are those people going to be? who will kind of push us into that direction. I think there are some folks out there, as you know, but uh, certainly not the loudest voices in the room right now. Right. And I was thinking about your, your analogy there with, you know, the finding of the new world. And it's, of course, the, the, the lesson from history is that they ended up calling those people Indians, right? And mm -hmm. they called them Indians because initially they thought, well, we must have landed on, in, in, in India, right? <laughs> and uh, wow, so these are Indians. And so that, that's a really great case in point about sometimes we can come across new information, new data. But again, if we have a bias about what that data must mean, right, then we can sometimes put it in the wrong category. And I think that's mm -hmm. been part of the issue with the whole extraterrestrial versus interdimensional versus ultra terrestrial question, right, is um, or, you know, extra tempestrial mm -hmm. is is when we find a group of others, what about our pre-existing biases uh, makes us 
conclude prematurely sometimes that it's one group or over another. So, you know, for instance, one of the kind of hilarious things that's happening right now is how NASA keeps coming out and saying, just to be clear, there's no evidence that this is extraterrestrial, right? Right. It's like, well, well, what exactly does that evidence look like, right? Yeah. Is the first question. And number two, who said we've necessarily concluded it's extraterrestrial? So even in our present day and age, the modern age, where we've learned, you would hope, so many lessons from history about prematurely making drawing conclusions, we're still doing that today. Like we're, we're saying, like either it's like earthbound human technology or, you know, it's the Martians, one of those two. <laughs> and, and it's kind of hilarious that in 2022, those are kind of the options put on the table. And even more kind of, I think, frustrating to those of us who are really intimately involved with this topic is that to the average, you know, Joe Blow in the public, they don't pick up on any of that. They just they hear what NASA says and like, oh, well, I guess it's not it's not E.T. phoning home after all. And they're you know oblivious to the entire rest of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what uh, it begs the question, what is kind of our what is the operational tolerance of civilization for, I think, what I would consider to be ambiguous, uh, an ambiguous understanding of reality, you know, because really there's this sense in which at a certain level, like the level in which we're operating on the globe, our interconnected uh, economies and markets and you know the way that we interact right now we we really can't tolerate a uh, a version of reality that is too many degrees departed from what kind of makes things run you know what what the status quo essentially demands and so you know i think it's for me it's looking at that sort of system and going well how do we get from that system at least a couple of degrees further than that uh, to where we can incorporate a different way of looking at reality than what we currently use. And and I struggle with this a lot as well, because I think at a very personal level, um, not just for my own per person, but for the others that I interact with um, and through social media and in person in real life, uh, in, a, <laughs> in meat space, I guess, I think most people have this sense in which the current system isn't working as intended. That there's something is kind of broken about the way the world is operating. And we, we see this almost every week now, examples of this. Uh, our, our corporate institutions just continually fail and have been failing us for decades and how they kind of put profits over people. Uh, our government institutions continue to do the very same thing with special interests and, of course, money and politics, which creates so, so many problems. So the average individual, you know, bumps up against this all the time, yet we're kind of willing to go along with this dysfunction because we have nothing better to take its place. It's almost like we yearn for something else and we, we, we intuitively know that there's a better way, but we haven't been shown how that could work. And the vested interests that are in power now have just too much sway over the way things are. Yeah. It's a bit of a predicament for sure. I was talking to a friend about that uh, on the weekend, just, you know, thinking back to the last sort of financial crisis and, and how, this you know phrase came into the vernacular, which is too big to fail, right? The, this notion that some of these corporations, these multinational corporations, um, are so central to the way the whole system runs that they can take massive gambles and you know benefit their shareholders when things are going well, and when things aren't going well, they know that things will only sink so far before their linchpin. Um, place in our society ensures that they'll get bailouts, whatever, 
to get things back up and running again. So it's kind of a rigged system in that way. And I agree with you that people sense that it's broken, but I think, and I've mentioned this before, you know, people tend to be motivated in principle by two different kinds of calculus. One is what you can gain and one is what you might lose. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, the way that our society has been set up a very um, risk averse kind of situation in some ways, like right, in terms of the totality that um, people think more about what might go wrong if we really try to change the system, then what in the long term might we get right? You know, like mm-hmm. what what potential good could come from really, really rethinking and, and you know, pouring resources and minds into really coming up with a different model. Um, you know, you think back to the, the push during the Manhattan Project, you know, you just get all the money you need and the best minds in the world. You build a, a new town in the middle of the desert and you just come hell or high water, we're going to figure out how to do this, right? What if we did that on this kind of scale, you know? And, and what if the 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 people that are the, the capitalists that are the, you know, the Goldman Sachs of the world and that kind of thing said, hey, we've made enough money. How can we really, you know, invest this in a new system? Like, and, and we'll front it so that, you know, um, it, it can gain equity over time kind of thing. So it gets its legs under kind of thing. That kind of thing, you know, is what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. And because like you say, the, the, the strange situation we find ourselves in now is that people on the one hand smile and say hi to their neighbors at Walmart or whatever, but at the same time, there's this kind of sneaking feeling that things are kind of crumbling, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I, I know I bring this one up a lot and I'm not saying that it's as simple as it's all man-made. I think there's actually numerous factors that are impacting climate change and what's going on there. And I, I think some of my views would be offensive to, you know, people on both sides of that argument, because I think there's also a kind of a, a consciousness aspect to it, that it's not just this pure physicalist kind of model of like, you put so much CO2 in the atmosphere, this is going to be the result. I think that's a huge part of it, but I think mm-hmm. it's more than that. And even even when you look at that, that's still a consciousness issue fundamentally, because right. we're willing to sacrifice the long term or the good of the planet or the good of our children's and grandchildren's future for, you know, profits now kind of thing. We're not causing too much stress in the in the economy now. All that is to say, it is a bit of a strange situation because, you know, on the one hand, I was just thinking about this just today. I was out shopping and um, just seeing some genuine, like, goodness in people, like, see people coming across, people they know, and, hey, how you doing? And really the sense of, like, brotherhood, sisterhood kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, we're we're kind of all part of a system that seems unsustainable, and and people kind of know it, but they they number one they feel kind of powerless to change it, and number two, um, there's this real lack of trust in government or in our you know the powers that be kind of thing. And, and I know that you and I talked about maybe getting into this tonight because it's not just sort of the, the extreme right wing anti-government crowd that that is thinking that now, but even those of us who come from a more progressive background, but have seen how the UFO phenomenon has been suppressed by the powers that be. I've talked to people on the inside who are very aware that even the way that, you know, Google tends to handle with its algorithm things around this topic and topics like this, there's a distinct difference from other kinds of topics. So there's the, you know, it's not an equal playing field. Mm-hmm. And, and when that is the the setting of the table of the public's, you know, public sphere uh, and the public square, 
then that is going to determine what what the possibilities are. So it's a it's a it's a conundrum for sure. Mm -hmm. And and I think we find too that those efforts often end up backfiring. So a lot of uh, work being put to uh, turn down the volume of some of these other uh, conversations ends up only amplifying them because they become, it's just like when you tell your teenage kid, you know, no, you can't do this. You know, you're never going to be able to do this. And it's like the one thing they, they can't wait to do to stick it to you, you know? So it's, uh, it's just like that. And I think, you know, we're, we're seeing that kind of conflict of interest really uh, bubble to the surface in, in many areas now. Um, but it does speak to me to the responsibility that and we've touched on this before on the show, but there is a responsibility that people who are in, in charge of these institutions, uh, particularly the government institutions, the military institutions, they have a very strong sense of responsibility for the people that they are that are under their care. And, and, and we honestly, we want them to have that strong sense of responsibility. But keep in mind that the inertia associated with that is very much to maintain the current system, maintain the current order. And the current order is flawed as it is. And even those on the inside who are, who, who have taken that responsibility understand that it has its problems, but it's that devil, you know, they would rather uh, continue to move that system very slowly, uh, but in very familiar ways, maintain it in that way, than make dramatic changes, than, than do anything that they can't really game out. And so that I think, really does move us into, you know, what we want to, one of the things we want to talk about tonight, which is, you know, what disclosure means for these different groups, you know, so you have a kind of disclosure from that mindset, which says, you know, we what we can do a little bit, perhaps, but we don't want to upset the order because the order is very important. We have a lot of people that we have to kind of think about in this situation. So we don't want to do something too crazy because then we just don't know how they're going to react. But then you have the other side of this issue where there are people who are living this, you know, they, they've lived it and are living it day in and day out. They've had very intense personal experiences. The sense of imminence, uh, immediacy is very strongly felt from many of the experiencer community. And so you have that side of the coin and it's like, well, what do we do here? You know, how do we kind of navigate the, this challenge to where we can have some meaningful change, um, but not it, it not be so glacially slow that we can't even perceive it. Yeah, tricky questions. I mean, I was just thinking as you were sort of prepping this part of the conversation that what's ironic to me is when I look at even the people who are kind of spearheading the push for government disclosure, I don't sense that even they've really thought through the implications here, the consequences. I don't know that they've thought through what is the, I know, I know they've considered it. I know they've considered that there's some big, big issues on the table here in terms of disruption, but I don't know that they've really gamed it out, nor do I know you really can in some ways, right? There's just so many moving parts. It's very difficult to know how that's all going to land, right? And when you, when you, when you finally swing that bat, you know, how many things will change. Um, so, so I think that one things we've talked about before on this show is, is again about nuance, about balance, recognizing that sometimes issues are not black and white, but shades of gray. And you've mentioned to me, for instance, you know, like uh, your kids are younger than mine, right? So when you've got, you know, younger kids in school and stuff, you, um, you know, you think about how these issues impact them, right? 
And that might be different than someone who's like, you know, 70 years old and single or something, right? Um, or, or 20 and hasn't got married yet, you know? So in other words, like, again, our, our perspective changes our, um, or our, our life experience and our life season changes how we look at these issues. And like you said, these people who are in power for good or for bad have to make decisions for good or for bad for, for the, for the entire populace. Um, and you know, I use this expression, um, I think on our last show when I said, you know, kick the can down the road, I think that's where a lot of people land. It's just, they really don't know which way they should go. And so they go, the safe bet is just to like, not do anything for now, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, um, if no one's like beating down our door saying there, 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 there's no journalists saying, listen, we know there's a there there, what's really going on. If no one's doing that job, which is, you know, supposed to be a functioning part of our democracy, is a strong press who can, you know, press government when it's not being truthful. But when, you know, there's clear evidence, as people often are quick to point out to me, that many people see the press as being, you know, in the pocket of some of these government groups. Um, And I've seen clear evidence, even with like the New York Times, for instance, you know, like this bastion of, you know, journalism in the world, there certainly seems to be a quick... um, tidy way of um, letting the military establishment decide how things are going to be pitched, um, which which is concerning. You know, like I think I understand that if you're the person who has sources on the other, on the other end of the phone or in the parking garage or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to offend them because they're your sources, right? That's how you get those, those breaking stories. But of course, it's that fine balance because if you let them dictate the terms by which you will share information with the public, then in some ways they're just, you've just become another arm of the military establishment. So, um, and you know, I know that you and I have both wrestled with this since we really got into this topic, which is, you know, again, things that would have seemed to us like conspiracy theory kind of stuff initially. Now we're like, wow, once you get down this rabbit hole, many of the things you just took for granted, you almost look back and you feel a little bit ignorant and, and naive even about it. Right. And, um, Hmm. I remember John Stewart, you know, back in the 2010s, I think it was one time was talking to someone who was sort of an anti-government person. And he's like, listen, these people are just our neighbors, right? Like when you say the government, it's just like Joe, my next door neighbor. Right. And to some extent that's true. And that's kind of the way I looked at it back then was that this sort of big, bad, like government thing was a bit silly. Right. But on the other hand, there are some really, really entrenched interests that because it's run by finance and whatnot, and there's only so many groups and families in the world with that level of finance. And when those huge groups, or I mean huge in terms of hugely funded, right, um, are able to control journalism and the press because they can buy up huge portions of that. And in today's age where we don't even have the, you know, the, the, the sense that the press really is supposed to be the spokesperson for the people. Now it's more like, you know, how can you make money and how you can get the most hits and all this kind of thing in the internet culture really has changed so much. Right. And, and so you've got someone like Elon Musk coming forward and saying that Twitter is going to like kill journalism, right? There'd be no need because it'll all be on Twitter. All, all the cutting edge stuff will be on Twitter because it'll be the free speech bastion kind of thing. Um, tricky, tricky, tricky stuff. And 
But you know, we probably shouldn't spend too much time there because I know you want to get into this thing about the different conversations. And um, yeah, I would say that you know, I, I know a lot of experiencers, and I think because of point of convergence, a lot of people reach out to me, and I know people personally, and I, I really feel like synchronistically, I've been connected with people around the world that are experiencers, and um, we've talked about some of that before. And it's it's it really is humorous when I think about the kind of conversations I have with those people versus sort of the nuts and bolts conversations. Because when you have like numbers of people, you know, reaching out to me and, and us talking about like pre-incarnative experiences and memories and beings that we knew before this lifetime and things like that and coming into contact with aspects of ourselves that are like, you know, simultaneously existing in other dimensions. Uh, that, I mean, you, you can kind of hear it, right? That's so different than, right? hey, hey man, there, there's some cool tech up in the sky that I think, you know, could be from Alpha Centauri, you know? Like it, it's, I'm not trying to mock it, but it's like, I'm just trying to point out how different the conversations are. It's like night and day. Uh, I think some people think sometimes, maybe who are not really that into it, uh, as deep as, as I am maybe, they think it's sort of the same conversation, but I'm saying to you, it's really a different conversation. And and when you think about like, you know, our friend Jay runs, you know, the experiencer group and things like that, the conversations that are had on those kind of forums are totally different. You know, it's like people are getting on to how do I make sense of my life? How do I make sense of my life purpose? How do I carry on a quote unquote normal life when I'm having these ongoing encounters with non-human intelligence? Like just practical, how do I get up on Monday morning and go to work? You know, when I lost sleep because I was on board a craft last night, you know, or something like that. I mean, uh, and, and I got mud on the carpet because, you know, I came back in through the garden kind of thing with no clothes on or my clothes were on backwards. I mean, things like that, right. It's just so, it's so completely different than the public conversation. Yeah. I, I think about this too, in the sense that how do, what, what kind of disclosure is the right kind? And I, I know that's a very, I'm kind of simplifying that quite a bit. So I recognize that, but, but, and, and it doesn't have to be binary in, in any way uh, as well, but there's the public disclosure. There, there's the private disclosure. There, there's the, there's the journey we take together as a people. And there's the journey that we take as individuals. And that journey is in some ways similar, but in, in many ways it is not. And, you know, I think it begs the question just for, for conscious agents, just generally, right? So, you know, for, for intelligences that are on this journey, you know, what kind of knowledge is pertinent and important and valuable for that journey to reach its destination or, or to enhance its journey? And what kind of knowledge uh, in an experience is valuable at a collective level. And, and I think, you know, we talked about this to some degree before, but the, there's, there's individual intelligence and as intelligences kind of connect with one another uh, and kind of sync up in a way, they also form another le layer or level of intelligence. So, so it, it's not, it's certainly not either, or I, I don't look at it that way. I do think that it has to be, you know, both. But I think that plays into where we are in the, in this moment as well. It's, you know, what personal disclosure is required uh, for us to, to feel like we're moving ourselves forward, what public level disclosure is required to move our world forward, where do those two intersect and does one have to come before the other? You know, what, what is the relationship there and how do you think about that? 
Well, I think one thing I've definitely noticed, um, and I've stepped back and said, hmm, this is interesting. So this, this is rolling out differently than I think a lot of the traditional ufologists thought it would. So I think the notion was back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, this idea that, you know, eventually there would be enough of a push that these different government institutions and these different private corporations that were given these contracts on reverse engineering projects and things like that would eventually have to come clean because, you know, the, the, the ravenous journalistic culture would eventually get a whiff of it and wouldn't let up until it kind of came clean. That hasn't happened. What I notice is that there's this grassroots movement that, you know, as I've said before, when I think what the number of people that are reaching out to me talking about how their entire sense of life purpose is being directed by these experiences and, and not in a controlling way, like they feel like they are, this is their life purpose and it feels right. You know, it feels like core to who they are. And I think about how many of those people reaching out to me, and I'm, I'm probably just hearing from, you know, a tiny proportion of the total, you know? Um, so that makes me think that there's this grassroots push. And on top of that, you know, that's basically what some of the, the experiencer literature talks about as well is that, um, some of these, and I've come across some of this as well in some of my own experiences in terms of, there was a time where some of these others did approach governments and were basically turned down. You know, like, I mean, this is one of the, 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 the most shocking um, aspects of if this were to ever hit the public sphere, it would be shocking. And that is this notion that there really have been non-human groups who've contacted, you know, administrations like the Eisenhower administration and made overtures towards offering free energy and cooperation in exchange for disarmament and kind of a realigning of our priorities and things like that. And those, those overtures were turned down, as I've said before, which on the face of it is just so shocking, you know, like that alone, what kind of shockwaves would that send through the culture, right? If we, if that really came out as something that really happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the more important point there maybe is that the overture was turned down, right? I mean, here you have this incredibly powerful and by powerful, I mean, sophisticated, you know, capable, uh, intelligence that was peaceful. I'm not saying all of them are peaceful, but the, the, some of the ones that approached these administrations were. And, and yet, rather than saying, here's our chance to turn humanity around, these leaders, said in quotes, you know, turned it down and, and opted for a different approach, probably for some of the same reasons you and I already talked about. Like, you know, what's the safe thing? How can we kick this, kick this can down the road? How can we first win the Cold War, then worry about this? Things like that, right? Um, I mean, think, think, it's never going to be convenient, right, to, to mm. rework your entire uh, human civilization on the planet. There's never going to be a time where you go, hey, this looks like everything's lining up. Let's do it. I mean, it's always going to be this massive push. But if ever there was a time to do it, it'd be when uh, a non-human intelligence that's very capable is here and saying they're willing to assist, right? Um, but yeah, for me, that's that's what I think about is that I think about, you know, at this point, from my point of view, based on the people that I am in contact with, I see the real change coming from the grassroots on up, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Well, you've talked about this before. Maybe we can expound on it a little bit further 
but just with the anecdote that you gave about the Eisenhower, uh, you know, connection there, there's also this degree to which the others, you know, have their own, excuse me, their own notions of what this process might look like, you know, so they may uh, have really good intentions and think that, Oh, you know, if we do this for humanity, then it's going to be great and it will be the right decision. But then after attempting that, they might come away from that and go, Oh yeah, we really judged that interaction completely wrong. And we may have actually done some damage by making that attempt. So, you know, we have, as you said, many times competing groups, competing interests, uh, competing ideas about what our level of relationship should be and when it should be. And if you look at it from that perspective, you, you really, I think, see all the things that we do see in the literature. You know, so many different kinds of experiences, so many different kinds of accounts. Uh, it, this is not a, a uniform, uh, you know, robotic kind of other that has uh, has necessarily some sort of master plan and is putting that into into action, um, which is not to say that there might be some others who, who have a good sense of how it should go, but they may actually be more non-interventionist than the ones who, who are. So I don't know. Do you want to kind of tackle that? We haven't maybe gone into as much detail on that before. Yeah, I think that's a great piece. I think it's really important too. And I think you were kind of hinting at something that's very true. And that is that this is another one of those assumptions that people go in with um, that we don't necessarily have evidence for uh, either way. Uh, I mean, I'm going to give some evidence, I think. But but prior to hearing this, I think people go in thinking that, well, considering how capable some of these others are, and they're so much more sophisticated, surely they have thought through, you know, they, they've, they've run through these quantum computers and know exactly like all the probability streams and they've decided this is exactly how you should do it at this time, talking to these people. But actually, you know, for instance, when you look back at the raw material, which I think is, is really, really great material, I think it's the best channeled material we've ever received that I think is um, remarkably uh, spot on and, and very much fits and corroborates and sort of um, builds on some of my own revelations. So I, I take it really seriously. And in in those dialogues, it becomes very clear that there were kind of sometimes that the these more intelligent groups that were at a non-dual place were a little bit naive in how they approached humankind. And even they will like use that language and saying in retrospect, you know, um, that didn't work so well. We need to rethink how we do this kind of thing. Because when you are at a place of non-duality as a collective, right? And when you're at a place where literally Somebody can't be a smiling politician who's really stuffing his pockets behind the scenes because everything is known, like at their level, right? So once you get beyond to the 3D level, you have uh, total transparency, right? So it's not like you can have um, a double agent. It's just not possible. Everybody knows, right? So the, the things we're already seeing, that some of you and I talked about before we went on the air in terms of remote viewing and different side capacities, making it very clear that in principle, anything in space and time is observable anything. And even it's even malleable after, quote unquote, after the fact, right? So we already know that in principle. And all I'm saying is that at these different dimensional levels, these others live in that reality totally. So it's not just partial. It's not glimpses. Like that is their daily reality. So think about if you lived in that for a long period of time, you come here to a sort of a 3D sphere where there's so much division, there's so much 
misrepresentation of what people actually believe and feel, they're not aware of any of that, right? So the complexity of how you actually roll this out for a 3D culture is a complex issue for sure. And um, I think that partly the shift to this this gra grassroots movement is because even some of these others that are the most benevolent kind that try to be non-interventionist generally, they've opted for this grassroots because what that really does is it puts the impetus on us, right? It says, when you're ready, when you call for help because your consciousness has hit that level, we will help you. And then if your friend does the same thing, we will help them. And if enough of you join together, like you hinted at earlier, you became you become this new synergistic force, right? This new coherent field that now sends ripples into the world. And the more and more of us there are, the stronger that coherent field is, the more it's able to actually slowly begin to change the entire situation. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, when you have a massive downpour and for a while the rivers kind of run wild, right? And new channels are formed, but then when it dries up, things go back to where they were. We're talking about eventually getting to the point where there's enough of a downpour that the fundamental course of those rivers change, those rivers change for good. I mean, that double meaning there, good in terms of the good of all, but also, I mean, forever, that really it gets to the point where there becomes this fundamental shift that it doesn't go back to the way it was before. When enough people are woken up uh, to this this greater reality, which again is based in consciousness, not about based in you know extraterrestrial or interdimensional or whatever. It's about this recognition about the the connected nature of everything. So so that's what I think about that is that, um, that, that it's an excellent point you make that not only have some of the overtures in history not been perfectly done, and even some of these others will admit this, right? That, that even comes up in the raw material. Um, but this is part of the translation problem you get, not just between two different civilizations, but when you've got one civilization that now is at a collective thinking level, right? Versus one that's very, very divided with many, many different worldviews coexisting at the same time. Like I say many, many times in our own country, there's three main, like majorly different ways of seeing reality itself. We've got half of the populace just in one country who has a completely different view of reality and a completely different definition of government than the other half, right? And that's just in one country. So, so for some of these others who are experiencing this remarkable degree of unity and uniformity to come in and try and work with us. Sometimes, you know, it's more complicated than they realize even. Um, and in that sense, we probably should give some grace to some of the, the, the groups that have had to make these decisions in the past because they know it maybe is not as simple as it seems. Uh, but, but these are some of the complexities that are involved. And I, I think it's good to point out to people that even if you really look to the positive ones, the benevolent ones, the the morally advanced ones to come and help us, it's still complex because again, like you and I have talked about before, if the goal is to actually grow our souls, if the goal is to actually also, speaking of this, conscious agents that group together to form new conscious agents, and eventually that becomes like a planetary consciousness of all the people on the planet, then then fixing short-term problems with a with a nanny state, you know, interdimensional or ET group that comes in kind of defeats the ultimate goal, which is the growth of individual souls and collective consciousness. So so that's why it's a win-win when you focus on the grassroots consciousness thing, because number one, 
that puts the the impetus on change on us, which is more likely to work, right? Mm-hmm. And it also accomplishes both eventually changing the nature of our society, but it also more fundamentally changes our level of consciousness. And that's something we take beyond just this lifetime. Well, I want to keep getting into this because I think, you know, some might have a visceral reaction to, to some of these conclusions. And I, and I, and personally, I, on some level, I, I kind of understand because I mean, there's a lot about our material world that, that we enjoy, that we like, you know? And so what I hear you saying is that, uh, you know, materiality in, in itself is, uh, is very transient. It's not necessarily, it's not the last stop in the, in, in the train station line. You know, it's not where we're going. We're going beyond that, but, but man, materiality is fun. You know, I like having things and I like having interactions in this, you know, 3d experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little jarring to sometimes conceptualize, uh, a kind of existence that would be post material. Um, and, you know, w- w- would that have art? Would that have music? Would that, ha- you know, you can, you've had, you've heard these kinds of arguments before. Um, and I think it, you know, maybe we can spend some time talking about that. I, I, because I value that experience. And I think it's probably safe to say that, that consciousness values that experience as well, because it's, it's imperative to have it uh, as part of that, that consciousness journey. But, uh, you know, is the end goal, like, what, what are the stakes here? Is it just, total transcendence and, you know, unification, like where, where are we headed in your mind? And is there, is there room there for individuated experience at all at the, at the end of the day? Well, this is where the conversation gets tricky because, um, you know, um, you know, from some of our private conversations that I'm, uh, Zen Buddhism has been a major influence on my life. And, um, and, you know, the most benevolent and progressive and advanced ones of these that I'm aware of and, and even the ones that I've been in contact with are definitely beyond materiality, you know, and, um, and, and what Buddhism teaches us is that that's those same things that you love and that you appreciate also cause all of your suffering, right? Because um, the second you have something shiny in you, you worry about what happens when it gets dented and damaged, right? When it's not so shiny in you anymore. What if someone someone can take it, right? The second you like something that's material, then you worry about what if someone steals it, right? So we 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 you know build fences and we you know put up borders and we you know create an us versus them. You know, all in other words, all of the second you allow for any kind of differentiation, right? I like this more than this. The second you do that, right? Um, in like in, in, in the law of one, the raw material, that's one of the first distortions is the second you have free will, you then can make distinction. And this is, this is central to Buddhism too. This notion that the second you have a preference, you've introduced suffering because the second you have a preference, then your preference might not be fulfilled and then you suffer. So sort of a, a, an admonition there is, you know, you know, he who has no preferences does not suffer, right? Um, and I understand on the one hand that that sounds very pie in the sky to some people, but I'm talking about like, you know, whether it's something you desire or something you're, you know, you, you have an aversion to, right? Either one can cause suffering and it's hard to live in a material world without both of those things coming into play. And so as much as you can say, we appreciate those things, 
I think when you really sit down and, and work it out, you realize that all of our suffering also comes from those things, right? So for instance, we, we avoid talking about death in our culture, right? There are some cultures where they get together and drink wine and have a celebration, right? Because they're like, hey, that person's gone into a, a, maybe a post-material existence or they're coming back to learn a new bunch of lessons, you know, or whatever, either, whatever one it is. But, you know, even when it comes to some of the Eastern spiritual traditions, what Westerners often don't realize is that the whole point of life after death is not so you can keep reincarnating. The goal is ultimately to transcend the need to reincarnate. That That's the whole point. That The whole point is that, you know, you, you get to the point where you learn enough lessons, work out your karma enough that you transcend and you become post-material. So um, the idea that cool, man. So I get to come back and buy a Ferrari all over again and eat pizza. I mean, you know what I mean? Like that, that kind of misses the point. And it's one of the ways that uh, Western society has kind of like, you know, perverted some of these initial Eastern traditions. Like we like the life after death part, but we forget mm -hmm. the whole transcendence part, right? Or look past it. So, but yes, I think that it gets very, very tricky. It's something more than we can tackle in one podcast. And one of the reasons why I would love to, and you and I have talked about this, eventually do retreats and things like that is because some of this deep meditation work, some of this deep um, non-dual work, some of this uh, really delving into the depth of who you are and, and, and actually coming into contact with that part of you that connects with the bedrock of all consciousness and actually experiencing that is so freeing, so fulfilling those of us who've had that experience, nothing in the material world compares because you have in potentia, everything is there, right? So, so why would you want to then come back to the, it's almost like, you know, the, this notion of, you know, coming back and you, you live in the, in the pig slop and, you know, you, you like your mud and things like that and you don't want someone to take it away. It's a little bit like that in comparison, right? Um, but but that is kind of the the notion that you kind of spiral up until eventually you kind of have a unification with with the cosmic intelligence, right? That you are kind of on that level, right? That that each like we've talked about in the last episode, each of us is sort of a fractal holographic image of the original intelligence, right? And so in each of each of us is the possibility, the potential to eventually uh, fully realize what is already in us, right? So one of the main points in Buddhism is that you are already a Buddha. Each and every one of us is already a Buddha. When you, you know, you pass someone on the street, no matter how annoying they are, uh, you know, you honor them as the Buddha. And you do that not just sort of as this sort of pie in the sky, you know, let's look like nice people, but it, it's because really there's that sense of that fractal holographic image in every single one of us that really each of us has the possibility or that we already actually are a Buddha. And that the only thing that gets in the way is the distortions that prevent us from seeing. So you, you want to say distortions in terms of like frequencies that kind of like obscure our view or yeah. our focus on materiality that, that prevents us from seeing further into the horizon and realizing, wait, wait a second, everything is there. Like, you know, I'm connected to absolutely everything. Why would I worry about my car and my house and my blah, blah, blah. So this is kind of what's on the table. And that's why for me, this work, you know, even when I go and live in this tiny cabin for two and a half months, meditation is going to be a huge part of it. Because to me, 
contact work is part and parcel with meditation. And there's a reason why CE5 and Heiss has had, you know, elements like meditation and vegetarianism is, is a big part of it because the way you are or the way you think changes the way you are and the way you are changes how you interact with reality, which opens up new avenues of, of communication with some of these other intelligences. And so sometimes people will ask me, you know, how, how do I give me the magic recipe, how I can make contact tonight? I'm like, well, you got to kind of change who you are, right? Like, I mean, yes, you might be able to go out and have a CE5 experience tonight, but if you really want ultimately to be on the track that these other ones are encouraging, the, the more benevolent ones, then this is really what what's on the table. Hmm. Well, and that's super helpful. And I, I, but I also, and we talked about this before privately that, you know, it's, and I think you touched on this with the, the Buddhist interpretation, you know, everyone that you meet is, is you treat them as the Buddha. And that's the, the, the various experiences that we have our embodied experiences are, are meaningful, you know, are valuable that um, it's not, and, and there really are no, there are no shortcuts, right? So, you know, you talked about Lamborghinis and pizza. You know, if you want to come back and eat ice cream and pizza or whatever, you know, not Lamborghini. Right. Right. You right. just good. told me you're biased right there. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm a Lambo guy. Um, but, you know, you could come back and do that, right? So maybe you come back and, and you you say, you know, I, I did enjoy that a lot. I want to come back and do that again. And I want to do it again until, until just like you experience in your own life, if you eat too much ice cream because it tastes good, uh, you're going to get sick and then you're not going to want to eat it anymore. You know, uh, you know, it really hurts you. So it's the same kind of concept. So I think it's, it's, to me, it's exciting that there are these, there are these corollaries in our lived experience to these larger uh, themes in our, in our spiritual journey, because I think it, it gives us these touch points of understanding, but, but I want to make sure to emphasize as well, because this is, this is kind of where my heart really is, is that it's a, uh, you know, c celebrating each sort of ladder in the uh, rung in the ladder, right, is important. That uh, you know where you are now and and what you feel energetically in tune with and attracted to, like it is important. You know, feel into that and explore that. Um, don't kind of just mindlessly go through it. You know, really get into that and and celebrate that. Uh, if you're not, you know, sort of. A, 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 an enlightened master or something, don't kind of beat yourself up about it because that's just not, it's not part of the journey you're on right now. And, um, and that's okay because I think eventually you will. And, um, and, and a part of you already has, as you've pointed out before, you know, it's already within and, and it's already there. So, you know, to me, like we talk about what, what's at stake and, you know, kind of the fixations on certain kinds of disclosure. I mean, it is kind of interesting that the nuts and bolts disclosure crowd is, is very much more kind of that chasing of the experience, that materialism, you know, like I want to just, I want to, I want to have it. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. I want to touch it, whatever it is. And then the experiencer side of it, you know, they're, they're really, as you said earlier, they're, they're trying to live into this, you know, what, what does it mean for me on a spiritual level? What does it mean for us as a people? You know, how do I make sense of this? So I think those two factions, you know, really illustrate kind of the the overall journey. Um, and as far as what is at stake, I mean, I think we could talk about that at some as well. But, it, you know, we tend to fixate, and I think rightly so, on like the bad things, you know, in terms of what is at stake. Like if we don't do this right now, you know, the world's going to end and, and it's game over, man. But 
that that's not really the way it, it to think about it. You know, it, you know, the, we, if you have to take a much more expansive view of what's happening in in reality, and it's not just you know that this this iteration of your experience on this earth. You know, there are many things that are going that are happening, have happened, and will happen in your spiritual journey. And so, I think that that's uh, important to keep in mind that just because we may not get it right, you know, in this one instance, and we don't maybe, you know, hit disclosure, hit that ball right out of the park, uh, you know, on the first swing, doesn't mean it's like, well, I guess we we screwed that up and it's game over. So I don't know if you want to talk to that some, but I think that you know, kind of keeping these things in perspective is important. I totally agree. And I, I think that um, something to understand about a non-dual perspective is unlike sort of a, a more Western monotheistic kind of perspective um, where people are really paranoid about um, disobeying and angering God and, and potentially losing their eternal soul as a result. Um, in, in, in non-dual kind of thinking, no such thing can happen. You know, because you are an extension of the cosmic intelligence or God, if you can, you know, say that without too much baggage. Um, and so, you know, if someone, some 25-year-old wants to spend 25 years, you know, from then on just playing video games or something, that's totally okay. Like, they're not angering a God by doing that, you know? And it's not even like um, some, you know, six density, uh, highly evolved non-dual groups going, man, what a waste, you know, too much Pac-Man. Um, that's not it either, because whatever you're doing, if you're living into what feels alive to you now, you're serving the all. In the words, therefore, you're serving God. You know, it's as simple as that, because like you say, every rung of the ladder is sacred equally sacred. And, um, and like you said, you, you can't jump steps. So it's not like you can say, oh, so, you know, eighth density sounds like, like the top dog. So I'm going to like, you know, do whatever it takes to go to eighth density from 3d. It's not going to happen. Right. And, mm -hmm. and nor is it supposed to like, it's, it's again, that's sort of that, that's dualistic thinking, right? That's mm. dualistic thinking and non-dual. And that's why I bring this up so much like in, on social media and in my podcast, because to get people to really wrestle, especially Westerners, it's hard for Westerners to really grapple with what non-duality really means. Right. And, and non-distinction or, or, you know, not differentiating between what's good and bad is part of it. Right. So, um, and, and to the point you made earlier, We've talked about this before in terms of, you know, my integral background, and I know this has been influential for you too, that whatever perspective you're currently holding, whatever worldview or stage of consciousness you're at, you have to, in a healthy way, mature that, fully embody that before then you begin to see the cracks that are the seeds of the next, you know, sort of transcendence into a butterfly kind of thing, right? But you, you don't, you don't get there overnight. You still have that metamorphosis has to happen in a certain progression. And it always has to be through a healthy embodiment of whatever you're at now. So even when it comes to, um, sometimes we may be frustrated by some of the, the level of conversation on UFO Twitter, for instance, but all we can ever do is help people embody and more healthily live into whatever stage they're at and as that happens, then as a natural progression, it's just a part of the natural process. 
just like leaves eventually come out of the tree in the spring, right? The tree doesn't have to try. It's just naturally part of the process. And I'm saying that's true for us too. That's part of the the embracing of the non-duality is to recognize that if I can live naturally, right? In Buddhism, this is a big thing about how do you live naturally, right? Because the irony is the second you try, right? You, 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 you bring, you know, intention and action to something, you're kind of, um, you're losing your subtle awareness uh, of this deeper reality. So it's more like relaxing into it again, getting out of your own way, that kind of thing. But for sure, the, um, this is really about embracing all levels, all, all rungs on the, the developmental spiral or ladder, wrong, wrong analogy there, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or different levels of the spiral. And, um, and that's a, it's a good point to sort of, you know, make a final point on this here is that, you know, don't get too caught up in the whole public disclosure thing, because everything you need to fulfill yourself, to become who you're supposed to be, to, um, take whatever steps are necessary for you to feel fulfilled are available to you right now. No government organization can, can bring that to you, even if they did announce things on the white house lawn tomorrow. So that's something to keep in mind as well is that um, not only is that maybe not going to happen the way people want it to, but that's not really what's going to fulfill you in the long run anyway. And that's not really what this entire game quote unquote is about, you know, like if it's about really, living into who we are and just, and enjoying that, like you say, you know, like just uh, really uh, fully embodying in a somatic sense, every step of the, of the process. You know, like when I think back to who I was 10 years ago, it would do me no good to go back. You know, you often hear about these things. What would you say to yourself if you could say like two sentences to yourself 10 or 20 years ago? And the truth is, the wisdom you have now is not really going to help who you are then because you're not the same person, right? That's what people don't realize when they ask that question. Mm-hmm. So I think all you can do is, um, you know, it sort of comes down to this sort of cliche, you know, there are no mistakes, you know, in the sense that, you know, whatever, either you win or you learn. And if you learn, then you win, right? In the long mm-hmm. run. So uh, just keep living into it and and don't get caught up too much in these external issues like public disclosure. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you, you talked about that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think I'm definitely in that place right now, as opposed to maybe where I was a year ago or two years ago, certainly uh, fixated on every sort of news soundbite that was going to be coming out and, you know, reading every bit of uh, sort of nugget between the lines and saying, what does this really mean? And how do I crack this code? And, you know, how do I know where they're actually from and what the craft can do? And uh, it's, you know, for me now, it's almost, uh, it's actually kind of more of a distraction, quite frankly. Um, and, and I find that if I'm really quiet with myself and understand this, you know, at a deep level, it's not just that that's a distraction. It's that, that most of the things that we're doing in our day-to-day life are distractions. And so, you know, it, it's not, it's not that UFOs necessarily are, you know, that much more important, you know, that, that they somehow unlock, you know, the magic knowledge, like the the reality is that all of these things that that we come into and that we place so much importance on in our life and that we feel like we need uh, some sort of revelatory experience of this XYZ thing because it's going to change us and make us a better whoever, you know, those fixations, that, 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 that incessant need to know 
uh, is really part of the part of the problem. It's an obstacle to you, you know. So, and I know that. Look, I, I get it. You know, if you're listening to us and you've been listening to this show for the last, I don't know, <clears throat> ten episodes, perhaps. I don't know how long it's been where we've been on this kind of kick, but it's been a very spiritual show. You know, we started out, I think, uh, talking a lot more about some of the different you know, permutations and, uh, you know, kind of keeping up in mind and, and then building your, your toolkit to interpret these things. And, you know, we spent more time recently getting into, I think the very personal, uh, aspects of, of the phenomena and, uh, and of our own journeys. And, and look, I mean, I'm telling you, if you're listening like that, that's part of the process, right? I mean, like it, you're, you're going to end up there, you know, if you're not there already, you're going to end up there. And I think it's important to, you know, kind of feel into that. Um, I don't think either of us are trying to, you know, sell something to anyone. We're not trying to convince people to, you know, buy a certain colored robe and, you know, say a certain kind of chant or anything like that. But what we're saying is that there, there are aspects of the, of the, of our lived experience that are intimately tied into what, whatever this is, is saying to us. You know, and whether it's saying it to us at a civilization-wide level, or it's saying it to us on a on a personal level, or we've had some kind of personal revelation of of something bizarre and strange that has broken into our our reality, like it's all of those things are pointing in this direction, and you know these are opportunities. I mean, that's essentially what it comes down to. You know, these are opportunities to go deeper into who you are and why you are here and how you relate to other people. And, and is that preachy? Yes. But I mean, look, if you got everything that you wanted on your disclosure wish list tomorrow, does that solve your, your problems? Does it make you instantly a better person? No, it doesn't. And, you know, to me, that's what it's all about. You know, perhaps I'm wrong and perhaps I've been indoctrinated as a young person just to you know, kind of focus on the, those things, but the, 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 these are the higher goals, I, I believe. It's not just, you know, chasing that next great piece of tech so I can, you know, zip from here to Tokyo in two minutes. Yeah. And getting back to what we talked about before, where I mentioned how suffering comes from desire and, and aversion equally, right? Um, sometimes without being fully cognizant of it, people look to disclosure as that shiny Lamborghini, right? I mean, that that's the the thing that does it for them, right? People have different um, different objects or different ideas, different notions that they ascribe that, oh, if I only I had that, that would be it, you know? Um, and, and as we've talked about before, and as we talked about in that small group we did online in the summer with two of our friends, you know, the, the very second you get the thing you think is going to fulfill you, you, in that split second it happens, you suddenly feel connected to everything and you, and you, all your yearning goes away, right? You have that feeling of completion. But ironically, as I said back then, you know, it's because um, you've actually rested in non-dual source in that moment because you fulfilled the thing that was in the way. And so it's out of the way. And so what you actually feel is that connection to everything for a split second. And then the next thing comes up, that, that, that feeling comes back again, right? And then we quickly go, well, last time, the way I got to that, we don't call it a non-dual realization, but when I got to that good feeling, it was when I finally got that Ferrari or when I ate that pizza or when I moved to California, you know, whatever it is, right? 
Um, and so we think, I just need to do that again. And so we keep chasing these things, right? And of course, we live in a materialist culture where uh, and there's no shortage of options for the shiny things that are offered to you, right? And and that becomes the game that we became become the rats that just chase things in the maze, right? Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, I would say to our audience, and I, my guess is, you know, you mentioned how the last 10 episodes, whatever, we've kind of gone in this direction. My guess is whoever's still with us probably leans this way already, you know, because if, if you're looking for that super nuts and bolts show where you're trying to say, is there a there there? That's not really this show, right? Um, and, and there are some people that you and I both know uh, that, you know, kind of have been frustrated by the whole thing and backed out and said, I'm not convinced that there's any there there at all, right? Um, I'll leave it up to the audience to decide if that maybe is more motivated by some people's personal issues and how some of these very things I'm talking about, desire and aversion play into how they even enter into quote unquote community and deal with people and deal with this issue. Uh, I think what we're saying is we're, we're looking for something that sort of transcends just this topic. Right. And I would also say to people, I hope it doesn't, you know, uh, I hope people don't overlook this. And that is that, so you begin this journey with a sense of trying to figure out who these others are and what they're doing. And my experience has been they've met me halfway, right? And they've changed my perspective. And I've gotten a lot of the answers I wanted, right? And whether like in your case, it's sort of like vicariously through the people that are around you, but how that also changes your view. And we become part of this, you know, liminal frames is its own conscious agent. And then, you know, not just us, but the people that are with us on this conversation. Um, you know, th in other words, interaction is already happening and, and that's evident in these kinds of situations. And if you think it can only happen, you know, by a shiny craft landing in your backyard and in gray aliens coming in for tea and biscuits, then I think then you're maybe missing what's been happening over the last year. Hmm. So well said. Well, you know, a lot of this is... Um you know, wrapped up and needing to be validated, right? So maybe we talk about that just to, for a few minutes and in different motivations, right? So from a nuts and bolts standpoint, there's a validation in uh, knowing that there are some sort of secret government programs that have been doing, you know, things without our public awareness. And we just want to put the spotlight on that and say, ha ha, you know, we knew it, you know, that all the breadcrumbs that we've been looking at, like they were right. And I'm validated in pointing that direction. Now, now conversely, there are also those that want to be validated in the opposite direction. So there are those who spend a lot of energy saying there's no there there. Uh, this is just a bunch of hooey, you know, you can ignore it all because it's just a you know, big old psychological operation. And, and they're looking for their own kind of validation. You know, that it's just a from a different perspective. Um, on the experiencer side of things, you know, the motivations are similar too. So, you know, I've had this weird experience. Um, I don't know what to make of it. You know, I, I was in New York. I heard Whit Whitley Strieber talk in person and, you know, sharing his very personal story um, of his experience. And you can tell how it's affected his entire life. Uh, and so in, in some ways, you know, the the powers that be coming out and saying yeah you know this is real and these beings that you ran into like you know we've got one in the in, in the freezer over here you know like that would be validating in some way to the whitley strebers of the world um, because 
they want to be taken seriously by their peers and to walk amongst, you know, other human beings and feel like you are alone, you know, to feel like no one will take you seriously, that you are a joke. Nobody wants to feel that. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, we all carry that kind of feeling with us, whether we've had an experience like that or not, you know, so we're always seeking validation in our interaction. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say here is like, we're looking outside of ourselves for that kind of validation when we don't need it. You know, we, we are valid in and of, in and of ourselves as being who we are. And, and I hope that people can kind of hear that and feel into that because, uh, as we've already touched on earlier in the show and on other shows, I mean, getting what you, what you want, isn't going to change, isn't really going to change you in the way that you think it will. And, and the power to change yourself and to feel validated is within your reach right now. Right. And, and, um, it, but, but coming from a place that maybe you weren't expecting, you know, like, so for instance, if you, again, create differentiation and say, I would rather have this be the case than this, the second you set that up, you create potential suffering until you get there. Um, and then even when you get that pretty quickly, you realize it's, it's not long-term solving the problem. So I, I really do believe that if say, say, you know, as I've said many times, there are many different groups at different developmental levels, but say if we even had like a, uh, a mid-level ET group who, cause I, I, you know, my argument is that these, these groups exist, um, and they are more technologically advanced than us. Right. So say if they came here and they made sort of some agreement for us with us for some sort of exchange of free energy in exchange that they could take gold or something. I don't know, something, something like that minerals, something they want. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, within about 10 or 20 years, maybe less, maybe five years, people will kind of go, Oh yeah, there, there's the, uh, the, the ETs, you know, on one of their mining runs and, you know, they're giving <laughs> us like, you know, this, this, um, you know, what would it be? Antimatter material that we use to like run our massive wind farms or something. I don't know what it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, but eventually that would become normal and something else would be the pie in sky thing that you want next, you know, that our grandchildren would want. I mean, really would be like, I want people yep. to stop and really think about what would you get really if you got what you wanted? What would you really get if you got what you wanted? You know, what, where would that really go? And really, this is so much where meditation comes into it because you you sit down and you say, what is this? You know, be, beyond what our society and our physicalist culture tells us, right? What is this? What is life? What am I? Am I, am I this person that's of a certain citizenship that was born in a certain family in a certain part of the world in a certain period of time? Um, but if that's the case, am I really the same person that I was 10 years ago? And is it only the fact that I can string together a series of events in a, in a calendar or in a journal that tells me that I'm really that person? I mean, you know, this sense of I amness that stays with us, that's real. But me being Darren and you being Nathan uh, is not so much real. That's more illusory and that's ever shifting. And we, the, the, the irony is we already have evidence for that. You and I have talked about many times on the show that former versions of ourselves wouldn't be doing this, right? So in what mm -hmm. sense are we those same people, right? Other than that we can string together this thing in a, in a linear frame when we know that time is not really what we think it is either, right? So kind of like what we're saying, you know, before we went on the air, we talked about how without 
the government, quote unquote, saying it, many, many highly authoritative people have come forward with deep knowledge and have said everything you need to know, right? That really this is happening. We know it's been happening. Maybe you want your uncle Bill or your aunt Mary or your sister or your parents to finally say, okay, we believe you now because such and such congressperson said, yes, it's real. But beyond that, all, all the evidence is already there. Um, and I'm saying in the same way, um, all the evidence to show you that the things you think you want that make you that you think will make you happy really won't. And you already know it. If you really sit down and look at them and do some deep introspective work, and I know some people hate the idea of being alone with their thoughts, but you sometimes have to go through that suffering. That's a kind of suffering because of habit. But once you can get breakthrough that, and that, that will eventually clear, then suddenly for the first time in your life, you can see this connection to non-dual source. And you can realize that the only person that really put you on this, put you in this maze that you were running around in was yourself. And you have all the power in the world to exit that maze whenever you want to. And no government can make you do it or can stop you from doing it. Yeah. I mean, don't don't let this be an obstacle, right? And, and I know this has kind of been, maybe this is the episode where, you know, Nathan has gotten super spiritual, but, uh, you know, don't, don't let this interest be an obstacle for you to grow in the ways that you need to grow, to be present to the people you need to be present to. You know, I, I can think of a lot of folks who are so fixated on needing so-and-so public official to say, you know, X, that when they're with people that they care about, you know, that they can't even focus on them because they're just fixated on, you know, when is... Chris Mellon going to say, you know, whatever, you know, like it, it, so just think about that for a second, you know, think, think about that and think about, you know, our ancestors, uh, you know, your, your, your family, you know, th those who've come before you, you know, who, who aren't where we are now. And we kind of think, think of ourselves as like, Oh man, we're at this cool time in history. And you know, what a time to be alive. We're about to get these amazing secrets. And I mean, what if we don't, you know, so, so don't, put all of your eggs in that basket because it's really not, you know, it's, it's not the right fixation. Um, you know, I think you want to get to the point in your life where if your life were, you know, to end the next day that, you know, you, you've lived the life that, that you want to live, that you've thought about the things you need to think about that you've given of yourself to the people that you care about. Um, and I think, you know, for many people, and I understand, look, I get it. I mean, if you've been impacted by this in a way that has upended your life and has made it difficult for you to maybe integrate into society, I get it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think don't, don't dwell on that. Uh, just as people who, who've never had that experience will dwell on, you know, getting that car that they want or that big house that they want. You know, don't dwell on that because that that's not going to really bring you the satisfaction that that you need and the growth that you need. Yeah, so true. And I, I think that uh, you know, just to highlight this one more time, I think what we're saying to people is, just because this is a topic we're all fascinated by, don't let this be the the shiny object that prevents you from uh, moving towards the fulfillment that's already available to you right now. Um, and I think for me, you know, when I think about what I'm excited about with the future, 
So let me just reflect for a second here, because on the one hand, sometimes I'll talk about my experiences and, and I'll have some people who maybe are not experiencers and, and are maybe coming from more of a nuts and bolts perspective. And they'll just say things like, you know how, how hard that is to believe, you know, they'll, they'll say things like that. Right. And, and I can't help that. Right. Like I can't, um, I think more and more there are experiencers who are saying amongst ourselves that it almost sometimes feels like we're in a different timeline or a different, we're definitely in a different perception of reality than other people. And, and one of the first things I think that people need to let go of is this idea that if it's really real, then everybody should be experiencing it or seeing it or whatever. Like that's just not true. Number one, that um, part of my background in, in integral theory um, makes that very clear that as you progress through these different worldviews, these different levels of consciousness, uh, it's not just that you see the world differently, but the world you see is different, right? And, and that also happens when you experience contact with these others. And for me, uh, speaking of what disclosure means for different people, I just want to make it really clear to people, I I don't, um, it's not this big Shangri-La moment for me anymore uh, when, when disclosure happens publicly. Number one, because I, unlike some people, and I definitely feel for them, but I, I never had um, stigma applied to me. I never had family members, you know, think I was crazy. Um, you know, I, I never had that kind of thing happen. I never had coworkers or fellow mi military personnel, you know, suggest that maybe I'd gone off my rocker kind of thing. So I understand how, how all of that is real and, and you kind of want vindication. I get that. Um, but I'm saying for me personally, these uh, experiences I have I can't really imagine anything more um, more enlightening and more impacting. I mean, I would like other people to also experience it, you know. Um, but but I, I, you know, Joe Biden announcing it from the White House lawn tomorrow wouldn't change anything for me. You know, it, it, you know, it might be interesting to see what kind of sociological waves that sets off, but it doesn't. It's not going to change my experience. And and what I get excited about is. You know, when I talk about like eventually building a retreat center and having people come out and do these week long things or weekend long things or whatever, I'm talking about the stuff we talked about tonight, like how to get in touch with this non dual source that some of these others that I've been in contact with live in regularly. Like that's just their state of being. You know, um, I think of, you know, my friend Yossi Ronan, you know, in his book one, he had the same experience that. When he initially encountered these beings, he was rocked by how there was no, um, there was just total transparency, right? Every secret, every, you know, dark place in him was uh, available for them to see and, and vice versa, right? There was just this total openness and they almost seemed like innocently um, shocked by how it wasn't that way for him, right? So it, it, it's, it's hard for us, I think, in this iteration to realize just what an aberration this is in some ways to some of the experience of the others. Like to us, we think this is just normal and, and people will make these comments about, Oh, that sounds like the, like the Borg or something, you know, like what's up with this collective conscious consciousness thing. And I'm like, no, it's not that way at all. And, um, when suddenly, yeah, I won't get into it again because <laughs> I could describe it again, but really people have to experience it. But all that is to say, that's what excites me is is not like setting up a helicopter pad at this retreat center so the the beings could come down in the craft every Sunday kind of thing, um, <laughs> but more that it would be human beings coming together 
and developing a series of practices together and thinking about how to do humanity differently, how to do community differently uh, in every facet of our lives, that we really begin to integrate these things, um, which is what I feel inspired by these others to do and inspired by, and this is the key, again, a non-duality, from my deepest source, that's what I want too. And what they want and what I want is the same thing because ultimately we're the same thing. So that's where I want to go. And nothing stops me from doing that already tomorrow. You know, there's nothing I need to wait on from any kind of public disclosure for that to take place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was about to say, I mean, this is, it, it's relational and that's what consciousness wants. It's relationship. Uh, you know, so it, it's this mining the depths of experience and, and how better to do that than to engage with other intelligences and, and recognize in that expression a part of who you are, uh, you know, that, that you, that you aren't present to, but you can be right. I mean, it's this, this beauty of, of interaction and uh, you know, so that I, I celebrate that, that uh, impulse that, that you have, I, and I know, you know, for a lot of folks that some of what we talked about tonight is very, um, may, may come with a lot of baggage, you know, I, I get that, you know, I've, I've, I've got the same baggage, you know, I've got, I've got the whole luggage set in the closet, you know, I know what it <laughs> looks right. like, you know, I really do. Um, and, and I would say too, you know, I, I don't know exactly what it looks like or, you know, and I'm not perfect at living it out or practicing it or whatnot, but you know, what, where I feel like I find it though, is when I lean into into, into my own experience and lean into the, to those that I, that I interact with, you know, where I really try to be present to, to others and, and to, into life itself. Um, as opposed to kind of checking out into, you know, the, the, all of the things, you know, kind of just fixating onto the things and, and, and confusing the things for what is meaningful. Um, so anyway, I, I hope that folks are kind of, um, uh, I hope, I hope that people kind of feel into that and, and are kind of hearing that from us. And I know, I know it's tough and, uh, and maybe we'll come back to some topics in, in future episodes where that are uh, a little bit easier for some folks to, uh, to connect to. But, um, this was, this was a personal one for me tonight. Yeah, for me too. I think that, um, you know, we, we, we want this show to be, uh, something that lots of people can relate to that are in different seasons of life and, uh, on different, um, you know, levels of the consciousness spiral. But at the same time, like we said earlier, we have to live into wherever we really are. Right. And so does everyone else that's listening right now. And for us, this, this is what being genuine looks like is, is being honest about, um, how the importance of the public disclosure piece has shifted for us over time. Um, and it's not because we become jaded or cynical at all. It's actually the very opposite, I think. Um, and I would just encourage others to do the same thing, to figure out where you are, live in fully to where you are. Don't apologize for it. You're not going to offend, you know, some external God figure or some external ET or interdimensional intelligence by whatever you choose. Um, that you know, part of what we're doing is in a kind of play school kind of way is as fractal um, holographic um, facets of the one cosmic intelligence is to live with free will, you know, to be able to make decisions based on what we want to do. 
And then we learn, like I said, we either win or we learn in terms of decisions we make and the consequences we experience. And then we keep spiraling up. We keep, you know, that process can't help but work. That's that's why it's such a a cosmic norm, because it just tends to work. We have total free will to act like little gods, experience the consequences of our actions, make adjustments because of that for our own good and to make ourselves happy. And then along the journey, we begin to realize that what makes us happy is what makes other people happy. And then the whole thing spirals up into this sort of um, cosmic centrality where where everything works for the greater good. Hmm. Yeah. And if that's not a spiritual message to end on, I don't know what is. <laughs> exactly. Look, uh, you know, I hope we get this uh, legislation signed. I hope we get the whistleblower protections. You know, I'd love to see the UAPTF report. I, you know, I want those things too. Um, and uh, I think for me, the, the salience of those things, at least I hope, is that it, presents an invitation to take this journey and that invitation is is received by more people right so you know i i have taken the leap of looking at the facts and looking at the statements looking at the history and 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 believing and i think you know maybe and i could be wrong but believing that there is something there and and the belief in there is something there in those things and the people who I interact with who tell me of what they've experienced, that has changed me. So I have answered that invitation and it has changed who I am. And I only can hope that disclosure on a public scale will do the same because, you know, not because I, I, you know, Oh, it's going to be some great, you know, techno utopia, but because I, I, I really believe that it creates an opportunity for us to be better than where we are right now as a people. And, and I'd like to believe that consciousness cares about that, that, that it wants to see that happen as opposed to the alternative, which would be, you know, the death of our entire civilization. Indeed. Well said. We'll leave it at that. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us on this journey and uh, we'll see you again soon. May the quality of our questions, shaped by a desire of, for understanding, enhance our journey of discovery. And may our travels broaden the sphere of our consciousness, reminding us that new discoveries beget new horizons. As always, adventure awaits. We'll see you next time on Liminal Frames. <laughs>